This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. We aim to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. I'm Max Flight. Well, continuing our series of guest interview replays while we're on summer hiatus, we have something special this time. And no, it's not about the Boeing 757, since that's the episode number. We weren't thinking that far ahead. This time, it's Amy Loboda from episode, get this, 89, published on March 16th, 2010. Now, the Airplane Geeks podcast was more than a little different back in March 2010. We were not quite two years old. The co-host dynamics were mm, a bit different. (laughs) And we were using audio technology that, uh, well, we replaced a long time ago. All right, so what's the special part, besides the always amazing Amy Laboda, I mean? This time we're giving you the whole episode, not just the guest interview. Now, despite production values not being up to our current standards, uh, it's a reminder of how we started, and some of it is hilarious, quite frankly. So besides me, you'll hear Dan, Courtney's WTF segment, remember those, David, Rob, and a lot of outtakes. Oh, and the original intro and outro music by Brother Love. You've probably heard of Amy Laboda before. She's an aviation writer, editor, instrument-rated commercial pilot, and instructor. In the show notes for this episode, we said, Amy lives and breathes aviation, and we chat with her on a range of topics. All right, here's episode 89. Welcome to the Airplane Geeks Podcast. This is episode 89 of the show where we talk aviation. I'm Max Flight. With me, as always, is Dan Webb. Hello, Dan. Hello, Max. Good evening, everyone. You're back at school, I guess, right? Yes, broadcasting live from Hall 5 at Bryan University. Also with us is Rob Mark, just uh, one day before he sneaks out of the country again. Hello, Rob. Hi, and uh, I'm trying to think of something funny to say in English Except I'm going where they don't speak English, they speak... No, we speak American, they speak English. I'm headed to the business aviation uh, uh, meetup over there in London uh, that starts in a couple of days, so it should be fun. Great. By the way, good evening, everybody. Rob, because I know you were were very concerned about this, but a a few days ago, uh, Snoop Dogg is now allowed to visit the UK again. So (laughs) just thought you should know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that, uh, that, uh, Dan. I don't Uh, think Rob knows who that is. Snoop Dogg? That's some kind of hound, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There you go. I I have a hound. Also with us is David Vanderhoof, our Airplane Geeks historian. Hi, David. Good evening, guys. And a shout out to all the guys that did the meetup up out by JFK this this afternoon that I couldn't go to this minor inclement weather problem we were having on the East Coast again. So, hi, everyone. Our guest today is Amy Laboda. She's an aviation writer and editor-in-chief for Aviation for Women magazine. That's the official publication of Women in Aviation International. She's an instrument-rated commercial pilot and an instructor. 
probably a lot more too. Plus, her husband is a retired airline pilot, so Amy really lives and breathes aviation. Amy, it's great pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much, Max. It's delightful to be here this evening. Fantastic. Aren't you an airplane owner as well, Amy? Uh, Yes. In fact, I've allowed my husband to build me two airplanes. Isn't that nice of me? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then he builds them and I fly them. Marriages don't get any better than this. (laughs) Sounds like a match made in heaven to me. Rob, when did your (laughs) wife build you an airplane? Well, because... (laughs) Because she was busy. She's a shrink, and she was trying to figure out why I even needed one in the first place. (laughs) Did she ask you how you felt about that? Uh, Actually, she did. Now, now, was it related to your mother in some way or or what? Uh, Yeah, I think it was. But it's okay. The the therapy and the drugs and, 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 and the hospitals have all done very well with me. I'm much better now. Well, before we get Rob into too much more trouble uh, coming up, we have the week's aviation news. David's going to have his This Week in Aviation History segment. Uh, We're going to miss the Airplane Geeks Australia desk this week. Uh, Both Grant and Steve have the flu. Obviously, these guys have been spending entirely too much time together. But we wish them a speedy recovery. Hope to hear from them next week. We do have a Whiskey Tango Foxtrot segment from Courtney. We haven't heard from Court in quite a while, so we're really happy to have uh, another one of those from, from him. And we've also got some great listener mail. And then later, Rob will be sharing some of his favorite recipes with us. So, <laughs> First, though, the news. First story comes from TradingMarkets.com. This is EU warns on protectionism as Northrop Eads drop U.S. Air Force bid. You know, no sooner had we recorded last week's show where we uh, spoke about the uh, Boeing intent to to bid on this contract than Northrop came back and confirmed that they would not be bidding on this. And subsequently, Eads also issued statements saying that uh, this was uh, this was dead. This was over. Done with. Um, so maybe, David, uh, we're, we're about done speaking about this uh, saga, at least for the, the near term, you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a bit cynical about that because later in the week, the news came out that the Air Force is possibly thinking of extending the terms of the bid thing so that Northrop and Eads could possibly bid. So oh, in wow. all fairness, everything is where we are ever at the end of every week who knows what's going to happen stay tuned did anyone find the northrop grumman press release really really interesting yes yes like in, in uh, what sense they took a couple of jabs for for one thing they they noted the per aircraft price that was in their last uh, bid for the for the last round and made the comment that because the boeing plane is smaller then, and less capable. And, and less capable, <laughs> right, that it ought to uh, come through at a lower price. So they were basically saying that the government ought to expect a bid from Boeing uh, less than this this particular uh, price that they had uh, had bid themselves. Hmm. But if they're not bidding, what difference does it make? Well, I think they're trying to get possibly a, sort of a last jab into Boeing and saying, you know, warning that, you know, the price better not expand to be more than what they had previously bid. Otherwise, the, their implication was that, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. taxpayer would be getting ripped off. Well, I think they're implying that the U.S. taxpayer is getting ripped off 
so much so that the bid is rigged. A single bid for something this this large is is really unusual. I, I think they were also saying though that the, that they think that the because whenever I hear the the Northrop bid, I know that it, it, Northrop's a U.S. company, but the Eads Group obviously is not. But I always felt they were kind of thumbing their nose at the Congress and the Pentagon, saying, "You know what? You guys are idiots." I mean, you're just completely out of the loop. Yeah. So I, I think they may be, in one sense, trying to, you know, convince the American public that things may not go well. But I also think, you know, they just had it with with the Congress, which, let's face it, who hasn't? Yeah, I, I just find this interesting on a just on a political sense, ju- just from some of the rhetoric we saw from, well, especially Sarkozy and some other French political le- leaders. I, I just found it interesting of. of you know, could this go to a higher level from a from a diplomacy standpoint? But then again, that's that's David's area and and, and not mine. Boeing did it. Went and filed the suit overseas in in the EU about price. Oh, government subsidies. Government subsidies. <laughs> so it's been done. This may just be the reverse, but and it's amazing that has never gotten settled. No, that's, yeah. that's still open. So- as is the, uh, the the Airbus, I don't know if it's technically a countersuit, but the, the Airbus claim that Boeing is, is also receiving subsidies. But, but you know what's the real crime with this whole stupid situation with these tankers is that nobody is talking about the fact that the Air Force still doesn't have any tankers. I mean, and they're yeah. not going to have any tankers for five years at the earliest, even if Boeing does get the uh, uh, the nod. And when they talk about... I mean, to talk about the, uh, the the purchase simply in terms of will Boeing produce a per aircraft price uh, less than what uh, the, the competitor would have. Oh, yeah. OK. But how much money have we wasted over the last 10 or 15 years trying to keep those those 135s together? I mean, yeah, we absolutely. wouldn't have had to spend if we could have just made a damn decision. And the, the proposal process is not inexpensive either. Sorry, I didn't mean to say damn, Amy. <laughs> Sorry. She's married to a pilot. She's not used to that kind of language. Yeah, not at all, uh, I'm sure. You, you do realize he's an A&P as well. Oh, forget it then. Does he smoke cigars? I haven't seen him smoke oh. a cigar. <laughs> all right. Well, I was hoping that this uh, last week would have been it on the uh, tanker discussion for, for a while, but it seems like it's it's going to live on. It's sue your way into a contract. I keep saying, telling everybody that, but they don't believe me. All right. Our next story comes from the Associated Press. This is female World War II aviators honored with gold medal. This is about the women Air Force service pilots, more commonly known as WASPs, that were active during the, the Second World War. And they've just recently received a the Congressional Gold Medal, which, if you don't know, is the that's kind of the, the highest civilian honor that the Congress can uh, can grant. And this is kind of in a way to uh, try to maybe make amends for lack of recognition for the WASPs for their, their service uh, in the in the past. That That's true to a certain extent. I, I think also it's a feel good kind of thing, too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't hard at all to convince Congress to to go for this. Uh, Nicole Malachowski, who was Thunderbird number three and has moved on, ended up as a White House fellow about two years ago. And uh, this came from her. But at the same time, she discovered Deanie Parrish and Wings Across America were also working on a similar 
campaign. So suddenly having somebody in the White House who could really take that campaign to the next level is what finally became the catalyst that that mm-hmm. made the appeal for the Congressional Gold Medal uh, su- successful. Uh, you know, they fought for their rights as veterans for yes. years. Yes. And it was only 1977, 1978 when they were finally deemed to be veterans and finally were able to be buried in Arlington Cemetery um, and get veterans benefits. Well, there was a huge gap between when they were told to go home and weren't even given the train fare to do so in late 1944 and 1977, 1978. So it's hard to begrudge these ladies anything. There's only about 250 of them left. That's right. The article says that there were a, about a thousand of them originally. Yep, a little more than that. But a little more that's, than a thousand. That's right. Yeah. Um, also, that that thirty eight wasps were were actually killed in service during the during the war. That's exactly right. And their parents and their families had to pay for those funerals. Amazing. It's it's quite a story. And um, just looking at the quotes from Parrish in the article, um, I mean, she seems kind of you know, humble about it. Um, the, the quote I liked, she said it, uh, we did it because our country needed us. And that's what these women did. Well, that's what a lot of people in that generation in that war did. If you stop and think about it, it was a different kind of conflict from what you and I have grown up with in terms of, of conflicts in the world. Mm-hmm. Would you not agree? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, the times were different. Uh, people's feelings towards the the, the war, I think, were different. I wasn't there. Rob might remember, but uh. but but you know what is is unfortunate though is that is that they were very very pleased with the work that these ladies did. In fact, there's a lady at our local airport who who is a wasp. Uh, who I'm I would be very surprised if she hasn't been following this detail by detail. But um, and the stories that she used to tell us, even she's still around. She must be well, you know, eighty something, I guess, eighty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the stories that she used to tell us about uh, flying B-17s and B-24s and she flew fighters and, and we were all just amazed at that. But but it was it was how quickly they just said, OK, we're done. We don't need you anymore. Adios. Goodbye. Have yeah. a nice day. Have a nice go life. Back yeah, go, go back to your kitchen. Go back to your kitchen. kitchen. Adios. I, I just find that so hard to believe. But it's, then it's just there wrong. are a lot of strange people in the world. Yeah, it's, it's just wrong. Well, it goes back to, again, society and the norms of the time. It was such a different world than the world that we live in today that I agree. It's, it's inconceivable. It would be so unacceptable. It, you, you simply wouldn't let it happen today. Right. And yet it, it was not only done, but they accepted it at the time. And the bulk of them didn't fly again. Yeah, which know? is amazing. Yeah. I mean, sad. Yeah, sat on a certain level. Um, they got over it, some of them. Some of them got back into the air at some other point. A few of them never stopped flying. So it, it, it really ran the gamut. But if you look at them and then you look at, I, I like to look at the Mercury 13, as they like to call themselves, as the next set of, of women who really tried to break through barriers. Mm-hmm. And this was in the late 1950s, early 1960s, and they wanted to be part of the Mercury um, space project. Mm. And there were to have been at least up to a certain point, and depending on whose point of view you take, women astronauts that early in the program, except 
that somebody decided there weren't going to be. And there's a thousand different stories as to why it didn't work. Mm. But the same type of thing happened. They did even better on some of the tests. And you remember the right stuff. So you remember the bizarre tests yeah, sure. these guys took, right? right? Well, the women did better on some of those tests because for certain things, women are better suited, particularly when you put someone in an isolation chamber, stuff like that. And uh, that didn't help them at all in the end. Uh, as soon as it was time to put them up in jets, which was all they were missing, was that that fighter jet experience. They they said, nope, that's it. End of the program. Wow. And they petitioned Congress to try and get back into the program. And Congress shut them down. This was in, wow. the, in the mid-60s. So you see things go around and, and cycle through. And... That's one of the things I love about the Women in Aviation Pioneer Hall of Fame is is the ability. And now as we've been doing this for, gosh, 10, 14 years, you start to build up these histories of these women. Mm -hmm. And it's really it's it's really inspiring to look at and think, wow, I didn't have to be nearly as tough as she had to be, you know, to get something done. You're and right. these were tough old birds. Yeah, yeah. They can represent pretty substantial role models, I would think, for, for young women who are trying to get started in this industry. Well, Amy, What's can I ask you? Is they still do. Let me ask yeah. you a question, Amy, because I think before the show started, I mentioned that I was out at, uh, uh, in Omaha this last week, uh, talking to a bunch of the, uh, uh, the students from, uh, the university of uh, Nebraska's, uh, uh, aviation Institute. And there were a number of ladies in the, in the audience and, and a number of, uh, who said they were women and aviation members. And one of them asked me if I thought it was still as difficult, if women still needed to work as hard as men in order to be successful in this industry. And, and I said, from what I've seen, I'd say maybe not as much, but still probably way more than they should. Was I anywhere close to accurate from what you see uh, as not just as a lady, but I'm saying as an editor? And a, you know, I'll tell you what, it really depends where your point of entry is into the aviation and aerospace world, because even for someone like myself who came in, I, I started flying in 1979. And I was flight instructing and flying charter in the mid-1980s. And it wasn't until I was flying charter that I encountered the first resistance to me, where somebody said, where's my pilot? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, no, Eugene is my pilot. <laughs> well, Eugene's not, not today, baby. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I'll be taking you to Reno. Oh, you know, but I mean, that was the first time I encountered that. And it really surprised me that I had gotten that far down the line. But then again, you know, you have the occasional student who looks at you and goes, really, you're going to teach me how to fly? Yeah, trust me, it's all going to work out. Plus, I'm little. I don't, you know, take up a lot of payload. It's going to be good. Um, you know, so you, you get used to it. I have found that um, a good friend of mine is a standards captain for Citation Air. You know, it's been rebranded recently. And she says still to this day, and she's been with the company since 2001. She's one of their senior captains. She trains captains. She has clients look past her towards the 
yeah. um, first officer and, you know, not sure. Uh, one of our, our, uh, one of my writers for my magazine who's also an airline uh, first officer for a major carrier, was coming back from the Women in Aviation Conference. And there were probably a dozen women on the flight to L.A. who were coming back from the conference. And about half of them were in uniform because they were obviously utilizing their, their various past privileges. And as she got up to go down the aisle, a passenger said, excuse me, ma'am, can I have some orange juice? Oh, no. <laughs> Okay. She was in uniform, stripes and all. And she said, the guy next to him punched him and said, dude, (laughs) she's not the flight attendant. Good for him. And so it was another passenger corrected the passenger who did. Meanwhile, Jen got him the orange juice. Because it was her airline, and she figured, what the hell? Yeah. You know, customer service is customer service. But, I mean, there was such an uproar, you know, because there were, there were a dozen different women, you know, who were, who were mostly pilots, not all, right. who were on that flight, who all knew. And they all, like, paused, you know, <laughs> this moment. Yeah, and they saw the whole thing go by. So, so even today... You could be, you know, on your your typical MD-80 going somewhere across country, and there's going to be someone who doesn't get it, who doesn't understand. Yeah, and you have to have had that happen to you. It's, I, I remember one time when I was in Chicago on a trip, and we were, they were staying downtown, even though I was based someplace else at the time. And, and we got to the hotel, and, and we were taking our bags out of the car, and somebody came running out of the hotel with his suitcase. And he gave me the suitcase and said, yeah, just throw it in the back. And he said, we've got to go to, you know, 802 Michigan Avenue or whatever. And I said, <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> Took his bag, threw it in the back, closed the trunk, and I just kind of stood there. He said, look. Are we going to go or not? I said, I don't know. Maybe if you find a driver. And, <laughs> but he was sure, even though I had four stripes on this silly shirt, that I was the taxi cab driver. But you know what? You, yeah. you just have to be patient with those people. They don't understand how delusional they are. Yeah, I think that I think that within the the realm of of training and within the organizations of most of these big companies, that most of the dinosaurs are gone. And that if you do your job and you do it well, it can be a tremendous experience for women because, quite frankly, most of aviation is unionized now. And, you know, you may like organized labor, you may not like organized labor, but when there's a union, there's somebody to back you up. There's equal pay for equal work and there's reasonable benefits regarding family benefits. And that's all women need to make a really good job. Hmm. There's a lot of places out there where that still doesn't exist for women. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. What I see is that even though, like you say, Amy, most of the dinosaurs are are gone, I I still see in our industry a number of women who um, don't have the confidence really that's required to, uh, you know, to advance and, and move forward. It's kind of like some of the barriers have been removed, but not all the women are, are, kind of stepping up to take their place. Do you, do you see that also? Do you agree with that? 
Well, I think that's one of the reasons why why we we created, and I use the word we because I was a founding board member of, of Women in Aviation International. Obviously, I was not a founder, but I was right there when when you know we began the concept and and started to pull it together. And the idea was to create a good old girls club mm-hmm. that that would be a place where women could mentor other women from within the industry and. Um, help increase the diversity because come on guys i mean it's not just the last male bastion it's also extremely homogenous mm-hmm. in terms of of ethnic diversity i mean yes in aviation and those are the kinds of things that need to change because you're missing out on a lot of vibrancy and creativity and new ideas that we need to change and exist in, in the new world order. Yes. And yes. It- yeah, see you guys. This is why I'm always telling you that I never had this problem because I always liked women from all over. I never. <laughs> so, and I, Amy, I have been trying, even David will probably back me up. I have been trying to get these guys to be more focused on, on having more ladies on the show. And thank goodness you are here. So I just wanted, I just wanted that to be, you know, kind of on the record. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. One of the that's things okay. we wanted to Rob, do. How humble make, of you. That, yeah, that's okay. There you go. There you go. One of the things we wanted to make sure we weren't with women in aviation. And one of the things that we really disliked about other women aviation organizations that were available in the nineties is we did not want to be exclusionary. And so men are actually members. In fact, about 10% of our membership is male. Men can apply for and and get awarded scholarships as part of our scholarship program. Um, we are not exclusionary at all, even though it's women in aviation and we are about increasing diversity and promoting you know opportunity for women. But if you're cool with that and you want to sign on to that, you know, come to the party. It's a great party. And I think that has really played to our benefit over sure. time. Yeah, I would think so. And uh, increased Works our growth me. and increased our options because, you know, frankly, we're all in this together. And, you know, my dad was was one of my first role models. And I think that it you don't have to be female to mentor a woman. You know what I mean? It, it, it can be anybody who cares and and wants to help you build confidence and and right. and step into the into that next position but i do believe that it's really easy to get intimidated when you walk into a room full of people who are not like you sure and you don't see anything familiar and you got to suck it up and you just got to do your job and there are a lot of guys out there who've simply never experienced that but let me tell you <laughs> 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 do it once and 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 you'll understand you'll you'll, you'll, but, but you know it. what makes it interesting is as well i mean your organization amy i always thought is that it's not just about pilots it's it's, oh, it's pilots it's mechanics it's yeah. it's controllers it's dispatchers it's uh well that builds uh, yeah. into that inclusionary as opposed to exclusionary we thought that Anybody who has anything to do with aviation and and aerospace, even if you are just an enthusiast, but your passion's there, you should be a member, you know? 
that was that was the idea behind it. We did not want to ever be able to ever have to tell somebody, oh, no, you can't come to that because you don't have this certificate. You know, mm. that's to me, that's bull. Yeah. If you think it's important, you should be there. You should be a part of it and you can help. And I think that's also also helped us tremendously over time to grow and um, to kind of become like an umbrella organization. There are a lot of cool groups that have their meetings when we have our big meetings. Women Military Aviators, Women in Corporate Aviation, Association for Women in Aviation Maintenance, just, I mean, just to name a few of them, but, you know, a couple of dozen. How many members does your organization have? Uh, it depends on who you talk to on which day and who's looking at which database, but generally speaking. <laughs> I, know, I like that answer. That's honest. You should never ask me questions like that after 8 o'clock at night. You'll get the truth. It's terrible. Now, a little more than 7,000 members. Wow, pretty neat. Yeah, pretty at, neat. The, at this uh, time. And what I'm excited about is the international growth has been really, really big in the last year. And that's one of the reasons I've been doing as much traveling as I have. Well, I have to ask when I'm in London next week, I'll have to ask uh, the audience how many members of the organization there are. We have a couple chapters in England. So hopefully, oh. I want to hear what the answer is. Yeah, that'd be interesting. It. Send me an email. Did, did we get off the news somehow? Oh, a little I bit. I'm so just getting sorry. ready to pull us back. No, that's great. Oh, right. okay. I, I just realized that myself, but. I just wanted to throw in, uh, Amy, last, I think, uh, yes, last year I attended a chapter meeting um, and there were about. Oh, I would say about 50 people there. I remember, Max, you did something. You recorded the sessions or something. Yeah. In fact, I, yeah, I put together a little, uh, oh, sort of like a little, little recording. Uh, I did some interviews there and uh, made that available to the, to the group. Um, but uh, I would say that easily, um, most of the attendees uh, were not pilots, but they, they were people in the aviation industry, but in a variety of different uh, professions and in different jobs. And, uh, you know, it was not just a, a group of pilots. So uh, definitely would encourage people who are connected in any way to aviation to, uh, you know, consider participating in this organization. It, it was fun. It was a great evening. Dan, maybe we should suggest that you look into this. Oh, yeah. But sure. you want Dan yeah, to go sure. just because you're hoping he'll find a girlfriend, right? <laughs> Hey, stranger things have happened. He wants, a, he wants a mate that will understand him. Well, well yeah, and I, I tell you the truth, I think, yeah, by definition, women in aviation would, would therefore be a very good fit. This is like a major epiphany. <laughs> he wants a mate. Get him a dog. <laughs> All right, now now we'll go to the back to the news. <laughs> Ouch. All right, this next, next story comes from the Seattle PI. But, you know, it seems like we get a lot of stories from the Seattle PI. Gee, and it is, it, is, it is actually my friend John's blog, of all people. Is that so, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is airlines more likely to cancel flights to avoid fines. Now, we've talked in the past about this issue of passengers being stranded on, on, the, uh, on the airplane. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, widely publicized uh, stories about this in the past. There's some new regulations where airlines can be fined for leaving passengers on the plane for more than three hours. In fact, the fine is $27,500 per passenger. Well, this obviously can add up to a, a lot of money really quickly. This happens a lot. According to this article, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics reports that last year, almost 1,200 airplanes had passengers uh, stuck on the tarmac for three hours or more. 
the point of the article here is that airlines are looking at this and saying, well, you know, it may be impossible to avoid being stuck out on the tarmac. And with fines at these levels, we're likely to see flights just being canceled instead. So I don't know if these fines uh, are going to have the the intended effect or not. Rob, what do you think about this? I think that we should not be surprised that the ATA said what they did. I mean, they basically lost this discussion, and they want to make sure that they warn the public as much as possible about how bad things are going to be. And although, as, as we have said many times, if the airlines had treated people with anything even remotely respectful, this this would have had no teeth in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it never would have occurred. But it did. Uh, of course, too, I think the one the one exception that I saw that, that they're going to try to get is for uh, uh, JetBlue and um, who else? Delta. Delta at, uh, at, at uh, JFK, JFK, which is probably a good idea since you've got that runway closed up there. That's going to be a mess. Um, but uh, now, of course, now the shoe's on the other foot. ATA can look at uh, Kate Hanai and say, look, this is all that woman out in California's fault. Look at what she's done to you. Uh, and then they're going to say, by the way, we're going to cancel flight. Uh, well, I, I, actually, Brett Snyder had a two part interview with her and it was really interesting. I'm not sure if any of you other guys saw that recently uh, yeah, this week. Oh, no, oh, I, no, I, I, no, I didn't that. see that. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting and I was actually a little scared by it. In what sense? Because she did, had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> right. In what sense? Just because, well, let me find an example. Hold on a second. But I, I, I know I interviewed her last year when this was still coming together, and I, I personally found her to be on top of it. But I don't know, maybe. Well, well, I, well, I just found actually her report like you could t- just from some of the way like just you could tell with the way it was written, like getting airline names wrong that she was there. But it was more the sense that she, basically everything is the airline's fault and everything is scheduled poorly and if the airlines just schedule everything at off-peak times no one will care about that and will be more than happy to do that and basically weather is really an issue. like like cranky brock the, the example of san francisco and she's like well that fog in san francisco is never a problem but <laughs> yeah so so maybe she I, didn't appreciate the, the sort of the complexity of of the factors behind this yeah, so um, I, I would just say read the interview, but I just got the on, the only part I agreed with her was basically she should say that more airlines should actually be required to report their stats to the DOT because right now you need to have more than one percent of total scheduled revenue to be included in the report, which I think is kind of stupid because um, it excludes a lot of regional carriers, which is such a huge part of the industry now. But actually, what was really really funny is. Actually, the DOT was considering adding that rule, and actually, flyers' rights didn't even push for that rule. But I, I guess, yes, the airlines have definitely treated passengers badly. But the, I just found it very interesting because I was at a conference, and Larry Kellner, who now the ex CEO of Continental, he was talking about it. And this was actually just after the express jet issue. Uh, the, and uh, he was very apologetic about it. And basically, he said, yeah, we have a policy in place, especially, you know, Newark, especially because they get jammed out uh, up a lot over there, just New York, just the nature of the market. And he said, OK, we have a way for people to get off and they that people and basically usually if they know this is going to happen, they've cut, go on the intercom at the gate and say, OK, we need to get in line. 
we're going to wait for a hell of a long time, but you'll actually get off. We can either cancel your flight or you can actually you can actually go. It's just going to be a very long wait. And 99% of the time, people choose the delay. Yeah, but so that's think, because they're pretty sure they're going to probably go. Yeah. I mean, trust me, if there were lots of examples of that occurring and most or even half the time the airplane ended up coming back to the gate, people wouldn't be quite so willing to do that. Right. But to tell you the truth, I, I still think it, it's it's a I obviously it's really horrible when this happens. But I think that this is a very rare occurrence. It, it's, it's such a small percentage of flights. You get one incident. It gets portrayed in the. It gets blown out of proportion in the media. And I, I think there are there are some cases where the airline will just cancel because really it's not really a three hour rule. The way I see it is because. If the if the airport's really jammed up on the ground, it's really a two hour rule in the sense that okay, we need to make sure we actually have enough time to get back in time to open the door. So I definitely think airlines should need to be better at customer service in these areas. But I I just I think we'll see completion factors go down a little bit because the airlines will just be afraid of the fines, and I think it'll just in the end inconvenience more passengers because okay, now you have less seats. If there's a, a weather event, uh, now people are are jammed up for even further to get where they're going. It's more expensive than you think. If they cancel the flight, they have to give you your money back if they can't get you on another flight in a reasonable amount of time. And that also means that the taxes come back if you're smart enough to ask for them back. Mm. And has anybody looked at the taxes on a ticket recently? A lot. A lot. Sometimes it's as much as the ticket. Yeah. So it's a it's a significant financial issue for an airline. Yeah. Yes. So um, the question is, does this does this just create another showdown? Is this such a mess that it's going to precipitate another uh, another round of uh, attempts to try to deal with this issue? Yeah. And to tell you the truth, I, I guess if I saw Flyers Rights making some more constructive moves, I wouldn't be so against them. But it's basically uh, I know there there is one soundbite with, with Kate Hani and uh, it, it was like, well, do you think this will cause more cancellations? And basically all I said is like, well, we can fix this. She didn't give any suggestions on on how we should do that mm. um and i i just oh i think she just over so like she told on cranky's interview that like delays of nine hours on the tarmac have it's like a frequent occurrence she said they happen a lot so i, I just don't see get this getting really the job done but but you know and i i can't believe i'm gonna say this but i actually agree with dan <laughs> Did you, is, is the is the recorder running max did you get that yeah but the battery's running low Oh, okay. Because you know what? I, I'm sure that even though the two guys are sick down in Australia, Stephen and Grant are going to figure out a way to use that. I agree with Dan. Uh, no, actually, despite the the uh, marketing side of it, I, I don't think that this rule is going to really make the situation any better. I really don't. I do vehemently disagree with the airline saying, though, that, that something didn't need to be done. I, again, the, the rule yeah, wouldn't have yeah. come, come into effect if they had been doing their jobs. Uh, but what Dan said is absolutely true. There aren't very many. However, however, when that airplane with, with 140 people on it gets stuck out there for three or four or five hours, you don't need very many to, in order to make the point. Right. And, well, and that is the issue that I still am just dumbfounded by, that some dispatcher at, at some carrier has never been empowered to say, I don't care, boss, we got to get this airplane off the ramp. We cannot let these people sit out there anymore, or we have to get water out to the airplane, or we've no, got to send a truck out to get the labs pumped, or something. Well, yeah, I I, I agree. But wait, I do wait, think, wait, did you wait? Yeah, did 
you guys heard that too. Dan agreed with me. Yeah. Well, be, well here's why I definitely. That's think- it. We can end the show now. Yeah, I think it's over. Oh, it was I, hell's about the free here on a good night, Amy. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that some that airlines, if they really want to, can definitely deal with this themselves. So I think after JetBlue had that really that fiasco over at JFK, they have a really good policy in effect. But at the same time, with with, with that express jet issue, even without this rule in effect, the DOT still find the the parties responsible. Yeah, they did. So they they obviously there there's already mechanisms in place to punish airlines and what have you for for very excessive delays. Whereas this, I think this rule just scare the airlines so much you'll just see more preemptive cancellations. And you know what? I don't want to scare the airlines. I don't want to mm. make them. I don't want to frighten them. I just want them to use a little common sense. I mean, you know, we had you know all the snow that's been going on from you know the Rockies east over the last month and a half. I mean, I, I saw the first time we had we were going to have snow about um, oh maybe a month ago. We were supposed to get eight or ten inches of snow here in Chicago, and it was the night before. And all of us feel pretty much the same way. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see what the we'll see how close the forecast comes to being right. And four o'clock in the afternoon, Southwest canceled every flight. Out of Midway for the next day. Well, they nice. did that. They did that in Philadelphia. Yeah, when, I know, and, and I was just absolutely amazed at that. I mean, and and for Southwest to take that kind of action, I thought these guys must have some phenomenal weather, uh, me, you know, meteorologists in, in, in the company. And, and of course, as it turned out, it was a really smart move because the only way Midway even stayed open at all was because there was no traffic. Um, mm. But I mean. That that was an airline that said, "Look, we're going to call our people. We're sorry for the inconvenience, but we're just not even going to go there because we know it's going to be a disaster." And and at least, even though if I'd had a flight that day, I would have been upset. I really would have. At least I would have preferred an airline to make a decision, do yeah. something, and and that's what really irritates most people about this this crazy thing that goes on at at some of the airports on the East Coast. Well, not just the East Coast, anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right, I agree. I think that's. I'm it. sorry, I didn't mean to get to to monopolize. No, it was a good rant. Oh, good. All right, thank you. Read K- Cranky's interview this week. I want yeah, to know what, what you guys think. Yeah, I, I pulled it up. It, I it, it looks like it's a good interview worth worth taking a look at. That's at crankyflyer.com. And, and of course, always Cranky has the fantastic photoshopped graphics going on. Terrific. And he's actually not very cranky at all. No, he's he's generally a nice guy. Yeah, he's really a nice guy. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Amy, you still want to play? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Okay, that's good. The Denver, the Denver Post tells us that unified brand name for Republic, Frontier, and Midwest Airlines set for April. Seems that a decision is going to be made uh, for a, a new name, a new a new brand name. Uh, apparently, they've been uh, conducting surveys of what customers find, uh, where they find value. And they're getting ready to, I know, huh? I'm sorry. I just think that's funny. The well, airlines asking their customers what they want. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's wonderful. Sorry. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's, that's very important for them right now because you have such brand allegiance to, to those two names with yeah. both Frontier and Midwest being considered hometown airlines that basically you need to look to that, especially, especially when there are two markets that, um, especially Milwaukee are are very competitive and both and have basically very similar route maps. So basically in that case it, it's been Airtran 
in Milwaukee. And then, I mean, United's always had a strong presence in Denver and, and Southwest building that up over the past four years or so. So I, I definitely think they, they need to keep that. And, and think of just how people are allegiant to that Midwest brand. I mean, if you when uh, Air Tran wanted to do that hostile takeover, it was all save the cookie. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was it's that's always been the focus for Midwest. Um, it was when, when a republic started doing some flying for them. But don't worry, we'll still have cookies on these flights. So I think they, they really need to uh, to get that research done to uh, keep those those flyers loyal. Now, how many have they lost? That's a good question. What are they going to call it? Any have there been any? Has anything been leaked? Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think they know really. Um, How about mid front? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking we're front mid tier. Yeah, front, front mid tier. Yeah. But yeah, well, because and that's one. And I mean, I think Bedford's uh, basically said, you know, we're going to have a unified brand, but that doesn't mean we'll still have the two names. And they've already yeah. done that in, in some regard. I mean basically co-chairing um throughout the network um frontier midwest they've aligned their um their their uh, redemption levels for frequent flyer programs i don't think i'm not sure if you can i think you can earn on each other's programs at this point but i don't know sure i don't know for sure i think they'll have a consolidated book en- booking engine at some point right now if you go on board a flight uh you'll find the same catering menu on frontier midwest so things like that but part of it is um you know brand recognition Who's the stronger um, brand, Dan? Well, probably Frontier, um, just because because they're they're larger. But one thing I've said to a few friends is, is basically the the right now, like like Frontier's biggest strength is that they're Denver's hometown airline, and their biggest weakness is that they're Denver's hometown airline. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they're they're really powerful in Denver, but I I mean if I. If I if I told someone I was going on a trip and if I said I was flying, you know, a Southwest, a Delta, U.S. Airways, United, they say, oh, oh, yeah, they, whatever. OK, I've flown them before. But if I said Frontier or Midwest, even though Midwest is in Boston, they'd say, oh, OK, who the heck is that? So it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and it, also part of this, 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 uh, this study is not just the name, but it's also what to keep. So um, do we keep the Midwest cookies um, now that the E-190s have some E-190s have gone from Milwaukee to Denver? And some A319 has gone from Denver to Milwaukee. Okay, do the customers really value the DirecTV on board? Is does that actually make some customers come over? It, what what parts of the frequent flyer programs do people like? So, uh, but I, I think the sooner this happens, the, this needs to happen, you know, as quickly as possible. So I don't know what you guys think, but I think it should be Frontier with Republic's cookies. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Frontier's got the best markings of any airline, uh, in my humble opinion. I love those tails. My wife and I were sitting watching dinner tonight and I was watching one come in and I made, I wanted to know exactly which one I was seeing, which 320 was coming in and it actually was the dolphin. So flipper. So it, from a marking standpoint, gotta love those frontier airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and like they, they, they've made that, they've made the tails, the key of their advertising campaigns. Um, so, and like, like if you walk on a, uh, a frontier Airbus, they'll say, you know, you're flying with uh, Lola. I forget what Lola is, but you're flying with like Lola, the mountain lion, I think is, or whatever. Mm. Um, so they, they do make it a whole part of their brand image. So yeah, it, you know, David could very well be fuzzy animals on tails with warm chocolate chip cookies. If it was me, what I would, the approach I would take would be to figure out what image do I want to portray? What do I want my brand to be? What do I want to represent to my customers? And then name it based on that. Forget about Republic, forget about Frontier, forget about Midwest, forget about all that stuff. Just name it something that fits with what it wants to be in the future. And then just manage the transition from the old names to the new names. 
Well, you've got two airlines that have been in trouble in the past, too. So you can look at the positive identification with them, but you can also look at the negative. And you have, I agree with you, you have the chance to start fresh. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that generally happens. I mean, if you look at some of the more recent mergers, TWA didn't did it, but do it. But uh, if you look, um, so like Delta and US Air is two more more recent. Like they've both, I uh, like if they decide, okay, let's repaint the entire fleet. So um, you know, the US Airways, the the newer jets, they incorporate items from both the America West and US Airways theme. Uh, the Delta, the new Delta livery. I mean, part of that was just incorp, just creating a new company image, but. I believe the the reason the widget is turned uh, the certain way is is just out of out of respect for for the Northwest Compass. So things like that, yeah, you know, make a new image and move forward. So, so we would like to propose that there be at least one logo jet that says "Fly Airplane Geeks" or <laughs> AirplaneGeeks.com. There you uh, go. Yeah, I or uh, um, you know, as part of this research, if anyone wants to send me just like a, a tub of Midwest cookies. Uh, you do like those Midwest uh, see, cookies. It's all uh, about the cookies with you. I get it. Yeah. Well, no, well, you can, you can, you can buy them like, like the dough, I believe, or I think there <laughs> may even be. You can oh, buy you them. But, need dough to buy them. But, but it, that's true. But you can only get them in Milwaukee. Ah, I see. And I'm not in Milwaukee. So I was bummed because they were giving out, out away old MD80 and 717 seats, and you know, I, I, I'm not in Milwaukee, so I couldn't get one. They were giving them away. They 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 well they had a Twitter contest and then I think you could get some cheap if you because uh, they didn't have any use for them anyway but like if you gave a donation to charity you could pick some up and what would you do with these seats uh well I think like I think right I the think Frankie has them yeah yeah they go we have like it's like three bedrooms and like a living room so they go right in the living room it'd be it'd be great <laughs> or what'd be perfect for a future apartment is like if I got one of those like one of those business class beds I wouldn't even need really much space i mean i wouldn't need a tv because that'd be in the seat this is obviously a future home where you're living alone a- amy no 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 this guy is still single no, yeah, no. i get it i get no. it my, my future spouse and i we could have adjoining <laughs> we, we, we could have we, we could like 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 we, we'll get like a united business class seat because the seats are right next to each other so i mean there's a little divider if you're having an argument so you can put that up other than that you're next to there's, each other. there's no way to salvage this Dan. No, I'm just saying it'd be very romantic. It'd okay. be great. Yeah. Anyone listening okay. who is, you know, thinking about yeah. this is okay. gone now. Hey, listen, I'm glad <laughs> I wasn't so shallow as to focus on that uh, that uh, Sports Illustrated uh, model that was on the side of the AirTran airplane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would have really <laughs> taken the the conversation right down. But luckily, I'm not that shallow. <laughs> it's not like so, I don't have a bunch of nose art sitting around my workroom. Yeah. So I really, and I, I, I really can't, I really can't go down that route. And I, I you know, and I, I, I actually don't, you know, I, I can't tell you how I know this, but I mean, they do actually have an aviation section in this year's issue. So yeah, they do. It, Cause you'd have to go <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> All right. Let's Complaints, move. Complaints, problems, issues. Yeah. Uh, it's Dan Webbage at Twitter. <laughs> Okay, moving on to our last story. This is from Occupational Health and Safety. FAA renames GA Magazine Ready's Stand Down. So the FAA has had this general aviation magazine called FAA Aviation News, and they're renaming it the FAA Safety Briefing. And in addition, they're going to have a, a, a safety stand down day 
Um, the idea is to improve general aviation safety, and that's being launched at uh, the the Sun and Fun fly-in later. Uh, well, actually, coming up fairly soon. What is this, uh, Amy? Do you know what does this mean? Uh, it it really doesn't mean anything at all. Uh, I think that if you've read the magazine, which I have mm-hmm. over time, because I used to know the editor Phyllis and Phyllis Duncan. That, Rob, do you remember Phyllis? Yes, I do. As a matter yeah. of fact. Phyllis retired a couple of years ago, and I think they really just, you know, tried to get on the bandwagon of, of we need something catchier. What is it we do with this magazine? And the answer is they, they have safety articles in the magazine. So why not call it FAA Safety Briefing? Mm-hmm. I think it's really that innocuous, the change. Okay. But of course, but, what FAA is struggling with is that when they first started that publication, I mean, that's been out for... Oh, my God, I can't even imagine how many decades they've been publishing this. But now, of course, the competition for uh, this kind of an audience is just unbelievable. And uh, I I mean, I'd really like to see what their their reader numbers are like. Uh, My guess is they've probably been plummeting. Well, you know, they're not even publishing it on paper anymore. Oh, that's it's true. Pure, that's right. It's a pure digital magazine now because of cutbacks. So, and are they quarterly or are they every other month? I, I honestly can't tell I you. I think it's quarterly, actually. I think it is too. And so I would suspect that it's also in-house written, which means it's FAA safety inspectors writing these. So sometimes they're really sharp and sometimes... They're as sharp as the editor can get them. <laughs> is that Spoken a like a true way to do that. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, you know, it's got solid stuff in there, and good Lord knows it's the FAA's opinion, right? So we might as well find out what that is because you may bump up against it anyway. It's always nice to know in advance. They couldn't take, you know, aviation safety because that's already in use by Belvoir. So, Mm. you know, FAA safety briefing. There you go. There we have it. Well, that's my theory. (laughs) You know, I was kind of hoping this week we were going to have somebody that as a guest that was a little more chatty. (laughs) I mean, someone that would fit in here. And Uh, we're just kidding. It's nice to have you here, Amy. I mean, well, thank you. Again, our guest this episode is Amy Laboda. She's a pilot and editor in chief for is, Aviation. Is she leaving? Women. No, no. But we're starting oh, the main. Oh, I was we're starting say, the main I, topic now. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, because 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 we haven't talked to Amy at all this episode no, yet. That's right. <laughs> and she's feeling very left out. Yeah. So. Oh my. <laughs> okay. Amy, you were recently in in France, I believe, to uh, Les Bourget to celebrate the hundred years of women in flight. They had an event over there. That is correct. Uh, uh, They have at the Paris Air and Space Museum, which is in the original terminal at Le Bourget. In fact, I had um, a retired Air France employee point to a spot in one of the exhibit rooms and say, you know, that's the spot where that Russian dancer Nuriev, I'll never forget. (laughs) He was going through customs. He was on his way back to Russia and he changed his mind and he defeated. He jumped 
jumped over the table. He was amazing. He was a ballet dancer, wow. and I watched him do it. I mean, it was really funny. This woman, she, she remembers the spot. Very animated. She remembered the spot because the graphics on the floor were like the compass rose. Mm-hmm. And so that was the spot where customs was. And she said, this is it. Interesting. This is the place. You know, she got very, very animated. Great museum. Haven't ever seen a Concord exhibit quite as nice as the one they have there, which mm. is to be expected. They have uh, Concord number one, serial number one, mm-hmm. the research vessel, which was a British aerospace Concord. And it is set up so that you can walk through it and see all the instrumentation and everything like that. And you come up to the cockpit and you can look at the cockpit and then you make a turn and you go out a side door and it takes you into the last flying Air France Concorde. Oh, interesting. Wow. Which is still supposedly being maintained in flyable condition. And so you go in the door there and now you can look at the modern cockpit interesting and modern i put with quotes because it's still you know it was a pretty old airplane mm. and walk down the aisle and they've got you know recording going of a you know captain you know saying we're now at mach 2 and yeah. you know the flight attendant and stuff but it was really cool because i haven't been in any other place where you could really do that walk through and see what that very first one looked like and the windows mm. were different shapes and sizes and then, and then go in the in uh, a late model one, mm. so to speak. That first one was just a development plane that never went into the service. Is that right? That's exactly uh, right. Uh. Yeah, yeah. They actually had issues with the windows cracking. Oh, so really? That's why they went to much. I mean, almost fifty percent smaller mm-hmm. the windows for the passenger. And I don't know if you remember the airplane well, but it had had notably smaller windows. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw one was uh, at Dulles. And I, had, uh, I was on an arriving flight from somewhere or other. And uh, I just remember seeing the that plane for the first time, the Concorde, and of course being kind of startled at really how small it is. It's very small. I remember watching it come in on the Carnassi approach, sitting at the end of the runway on an airliner waiting to go and thinking, holy Christ, look at the deck attitude on that thing yeah. with the nose drop. And, you know, it was just, just like a bird, a pelican or something coming in for a landing. Hmm. It was very bizarre and it was pretty moist out. So you could really see the wake Mm -hmm. behind it swirling. Uh, It was something, I mean, just kind of burned into your impression, but that wasn't the reason I was there. I actually got to fly into Le Bourget with some other women in a Robin, which is a quintessentially French airplane. And um, we came from a point where we staged northwest of Paris and had a predicted um, uh, flight path. In fact, our airplane lost its transponder in a very predictable old airplane way. And we were allowed to come in to the airspace only because we formed up on another Robin and we used their transponder. Hmm. And they let us come in as a flight of two, which you were sort of a stealth Robin. We were a stealth robin. That's exactly right. (laughs) And uh, so my pilot, who I had never met before, and I was in the, you got to, you got to feel what it's like to be a flight instructor sitting in the backseat of an airplane in a foreign country. And your pilot says, 
oh, but I've never flown formation before. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's uh, the, the Robin, what, it seats about six? Is that about that no, size? it's a four-seater. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot like a Trinidad or a Tobago. Hmm. I mean, it's fixed gear, but it has a stick. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite roomy inside. Very comfortable little airplane to fly in. And, and to, to her credit, uh, my, my pilot that day did a terrific job. She really did. Uh, and she employed all of her resources and asked us to look for traffic and remind her if she got off altitude. And she made a terrific arrival into Le Bourget. And it was great fun. They, they met us with roses and ground crews and wow. had a big lunch for everybody and really celebrated the, um, the anniversary of Raymond de la Roche. Uh, receiving a pilot's, in those days, license. Mm-hmm. We call them certificates now, but in those days it was a license from the aero clubs. And they're, they're big club flyers over there. That's how they do most of their flying is through aero clubs throughout the country. Right. But it's very popular because France is quite a good-sized country. Um, so there are little airports everywhere and a lot of general aviation. I was pleased to mm-hmm. discover and quite a few women who participated in it. So exciting stuff. Also, if you're American from the United States, you tend to see aviation history a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The French don't see it that way. Amy, be careful what you say here. Remember, <laughs> you have a historian with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hear all of that. I'm just trying to tell you that history can be many things in many places and that the history of, of air and space at the Paris Air and Space Museum in my opinion, did not necessarily jive with the history of air and space as it might be presented at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And I refuse to tell you which one I even think is the right one because I'm smarter than that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just pointing it out <laughs> yeah. that the French are of the opinion that they flew first. Yes, yeah, I've heard that. Of course they are. So are the Australians. And, we've and heard that. the Brazilians, yeah. by the way. Huh. That's the other one that's out there. Amy, in all fairness, I mean, if you want to call, if you want to tag in his flight, the Montgolfier brothers were the first and they were French. And there's a big balloon exhibit in there. So I, I, I'll give him that one. Maybe not the powered flight one, but I'll give him the one where as far as ballooning goes, they were way ahead of everybody else. People were so, so nice to me. Um, last weekend. I just can't tell you how wonderful it was to uh, be in a group of like-minded individuals for a couple of days, even in a foreign country. Hmm. Uh, that's that, that was great fun. I really oh, had a good time. I oh. came back the next day and, and, and helped uh, some people with their aviation uh, without borders uh, exhibit in the museum. I just sat and hmm. helped them, you know, raise money for their cause. Yeah, I I mean, well, I've never I've never met anyone abroad that way, but just 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 that's my favorite part of the hobby is just to meet fellow geeks. It's just, oh, you it's so just fun. need just you just need to start talking to people in strange places. Works for me all the time. That's yeah, also why Benet. <laughs> why is she here? Why is she here tonight? She's talking to strange people. Yeah, that's. That's, That's why Benet said this week on Twitter that Dan needed to get some fresh air and he needed to get out more. Well, no, actually, but Amy's really, she's right. I mean, the French are wonderful people. Oh, I was yeah. There last summer 
to do Airbus stuff. I mean, they took me to a little airport down, uh, oh, maybe 40 kilometers south of the city. I, I forgot what it was called, but little private place, own little museum. And, and the people were just wonderful. Once they found out you were American, they were trying to practice their English on me. And and I was of course trying to practice the French, but but they're just they're they're lovely people. They really are. Uh, uh, see, see, I thought you were just going to try to sneak in a. Uh, by the way, you know, I threw the A three eighty story, but you know. uh, no, 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 no. I'm not quite like you, Dan. I don't need the limelight shown on me. <laughs> yeah, no, not you at all, Rob. Day. <laughs> Amy, have you got any other uh, interesting projects or, or things going on this year? Yeah, besides disconnecting your Skype, that's what she's thinking right now. <laughs> so when is this going to be over? <laughs> oh, we're going to have some. We're going to have some fun activities at Sun and Fun, and then Women Venture is the next big project that I've got to um, set up for the summer. Honestly, I mean, we had three thousand people gave away six hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars in scholarships just two weeks ago and i will be content if i survive uh the processing of my may issue of the magazine yeah you've had a pretty full year so far that's that's what's on my horizon right now i am uh halfway through production on that going oh you want me to put that where yeah yeah so that's my 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 short-term stuff i am going to be helping out with the air race classic doing uh their safety briefing which is here in Fort Myers, Florida in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's my event horizon. And then, you know, the, the world just, it's, yeah, it's round. You can't look <laughs> any that. So you gotta, gotta stand back and wait for it to turn a little bit. Okay, great. Amy, we have a little game we play with our guests. It's called word association. Uh, I'm horrible at these. No, this is fun. <laughs> this is the best part. Okay. All we do is we, we will each say a, a word or a phrase. And then you just start talking about whatever pops into your head. Oh, this is very dangerous. <laughs> um, we won't say Richard Branson because we tried that before. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Oh, that's good because you were you really were awful last week. I know. Yeah. Yeah. My, my word association for you, Amy Laboda, is Robert Palmark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is unfair. There, Dan. Dan's playing dirty. <laughs> By the way, happy bladed birthday, Rob. Thank you very much. And Amy, if your first response is even older than my husband, I mean, then <laughs> you're not. Just so you know, you're not. Mm. I when I think uh, Robert Palmart, I think <laughs> Opryland. Opryland. That means nothing to anybody except for him and I, because we ran into each other and we were both at different conferences Mm. at Opryland. But where we intersected was in the middle of a Mary Kay conference. When he stepped out of his and I stepped out of mine and we both went, what universe did we just enter? That's really funny. That's really funny. Oh, oh, I I thought I thought Rob was a Mary Kay representative. I knew you were were going to say that. Well, I, I'm, I'm just saying you always look good in that. That might be Amy, the reason Amy, why. the guest, you can cut him off. Just tell him, <laughs> just tell him you don't intend to put up with that. Yeah, boy, what year was that anyway down at Opryland? Oh, don't ask me a question like that. It had to be, um, it was either 02 or 04. Oh, yeah. Mm. Wow. It was a long time ago. It's <laughs> okay. I was only 39 then. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay. All right, Rob, do you want to go yeah, next? Me too. 
I was going to say Dan Webbage, but now I'm going to change my mind. Um, let me think. Uh, a good phrase, a because I can't do words. I, I, I have real trouble with words. Um, <laughs> That's a good phrase uh, that we can keep. You're a blogger, aren't you? Take a contest later. Women, uh, um, uh, greatest challenge to women pilots. We got some deep thought going on. Do, 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 do. No lady pressure. Jane. Lady Jane. Yeah. Explain that. The Lady Jane adapter. The, the, the what? John. The Lady Jane adapter to the little John. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever tried to be in one of those things? <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, I, 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 I had no idea what she's talking about. I'm going on Google right now. <laughs> yeah, Amy, you got us, lady. I mean, the little, the baby Jane adapter. Lady, lady. the lady Jane lady adapter. Jane. Oh, okay. Now, now, now I can see. Okay. Oh, is this uh, is this one of those things? Uh, oh, I found it. <laughs> you can get it for sixteen ninety nine new on eBay. <laughs> I, I I found one for ten ninety nine new. So <laughs> I can't believe you guys didn't didn't. Never mind. I have never <laughs> called that. Um, wow, that's well. Uh, now you know how, how long I've been flying. I I just I'm I'm amazed. <laughs> wow, this has been this has been a very eye opening podcast. <laughs> and, and and if we go any further, I think we may have to officially launch Airplane Geek Unplugged. And you know what? They're, they're going to be all these ladies that she knows from from uh, the the association. They're just going to roar when she they, they hear her ask us this question, and none of us knew what she That's was talking right. about. But you're you're not going to tell anybody at Women in Aviation that you were on the show, are you? I mean, you're not going to pass along the link to the show once Max publishes on Tuesday, are you? Because we wouldn't want you to do that, <laughs> would we, guys? No, definitely not. Oh yeah, because no. we 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 hate new people listening to the show. Yeah, That's, yeah. That's yeah. Biggest, yeah. Yeah, Lady Jane, I want to meet her. <laughs> All right, David, can you top that? No. Uh, no. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> uh, I'm so thrown off my game right now. I know, I'm flustered too. <laughs> okay, um, clearly you guys didn't talk to the last guys who invited me on a podcast. <laughs> okay, um, Amy, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Rob. Normally you can do this in one word, but I'll pull a Rob. Favorite airplane. Oh, the RV-10. Mm. I'm really enjoying that right now. And you need to know that that I'm I'm a total flake. Uh, my favorite airplane will will be the next airplane that I fly. That I go, whoa! I really like this airplane. But <laughs> right right now, because it's just come back off of six weeks down with new cylinders, and you have to fly it fast, and you have to run the engine hard because we're breaking it in. And today, coming back into Pine Shadows, my husband said, well, I'm doing a low pass and then I'll pull up and come around because that way I can I can get rid of the speed better and I can bring the power back, you know, and um, that way I keep the engine, you know, at high power for as long as I can. And we went went flying down the runway at 180 knots indicated. And it was just <laughs> <laughs> only one way to describe that. So right now, that would be 
but still my heart after six weeks of, of laying about in parts in the hangar. It's really, really nice to be back in that airplane. So that's my favorite airplane right now. I, I listened to your uh, saga of the cylinder heads on the, on the last UCAP. So yeah. glad to hear that's, you know, sufficiently resolved, I guess. Hey, the airplane's back in the air and it's flying. And that was the important thing to me. And that, that it's legal. Yeah. Yes. We just stood our ground because yeah. uh, what was being offered to us originally was was not right. Yeah. And it has to be right. It has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a phrase, favorite ditching. <laughs> there was only one <laughs> <laughs> in my world. I mean, what's what's not to love about a ditching where everybody gets wet, but the water's warm and everybody swims away just fine. Yeah. 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 This was uh, off the off of Florida, wasn't it? Yes, it was off of Key West back in two thousand and one. And the airplane? It was a Cessna two ten. God bless it. One of my favorites at the time. Still miss it. I had flown it since nineteen seventy six, so I knew it pretty well. Okay, good. Anything, Amy, that you want to cover that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, Anything you want to say about Dan? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's harsh now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dan, I am sorry. I could make you Because I'm pretty sure I've been completely sensitive and 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 and, oh, and, and, and tame <laughs> this entire hour. And I, I really hope that every single future employer listens to these. Not really. So yeah, you're still looking for a job, right? I'm just going to stop. I'm just, I'm just going to stop talking now. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, you guys are great. I've really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to uh, sit in the hangar and talk with you guys. Tell our listeners where people can can find you online or the, Absolutely. Uh, the activities uh, you're involved in. Aviation for Women magazine can be found at afwdigital.org. If you just want to take a peek at the magazine, if you want to know more about Women in Aviation International, that's WAI.org. The blog is WAIShowDaily.blogspot.com. But you can get there from the homepage, WAI.org, which is easier to remember. So that's how I do it. Fantastic. Yeah, we do have we do have a Facebook page, and I help keep that up to date. Um, totally but I a fan right now. Yeah, but I cheat because I um, also port all the blog stuff and all of our press releases from the web page in to keep the activity going all the yeah, time. Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, try when you when you go on uh, Facebook. We are the original Women in Aviation International. Well, I am now fan number one thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven. So, oh, you found us. Excellent. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I'm one hundred and one thousand one hundred and eight hundred and fifty-eight. There you go. Excellent. All right, Amy, thanks again for joining us. You are welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Amy. Bye, Amy. Thank you, Amy. And now with This Week in Aviation, here's David Vanderhoof, the official Airplane Geeks historian. Welcome to This Week in Aviation, Volume 2, Episode 8, March 14th through the 20th. On March 14th, 1927, a Shell Corporation is set up to be able to bid on a contract for U.S. mail service from Miami to Havana. 
One of the original founding members was Major Henry H. Hap Arnold. Other members were also U.S. Army soldiers. Their intent was to prevent German airlines already in Colombia from expanding into the Caribbean. The name of the company? Pan American Airways Incorporated. March 15, 1906, Charles Stewart Rolls and Henry Royce, after Rolls had been selling Royce's autos since 1904, incorporate to become Rolls-Royce Limited. A year later, at the behest of Royce, the company began producing aircraft engines. On March 16, 1916, the first provisional aero squadron flying eight Curtis JN-3. Now, Dan, do you know what the nickname of the JN-3 was? I'm going to go with the new. Sound it out. Jenny? That would be the one. Oh, and then you have the, the the inverted Jenny stamp and all that jazz. Okay. Makes the first military flights over a hostile foreign territory. The territory was Mexico chasing Pancho Villa. On a personal note, my grandfather was on the Mexican border at the time, and the JN-3s were the first airplanes he ever saw. On March 18, 1916, Ernest Udet scores his first air-to-air victory flying a Fokker D-8. Udet would become the second highest scoring ace in World War I, second only to Manfred von, von Richthofen, the Red Baron, with 62 kills. Udet was the youngest ace in Germany to survive the war. He survived at the age of 22. Udet went on to play a significant role in recreating the Luftwaffe before World War II. On March 20, 1922, the converted collier, Jupiter, is commissioned to CV-1, the USS Langley, the Navy's first aircraft carrier. First flights that occurred during the week of March 14th through the 20th. On March 17, 1966, the Bell X-22 ducted fan transport first flew. The X-22 program lasted until 1984, making it one of the most successful X-planes in history with 501 flights, 1,307 transitions from from horizontal to vertical flight, and a total of 505 flight hours. That was followed on March 19, 1989, the Bell Boeing Vertol V-22 Osprey tilt rotor first flew. And last, in honor of my Irish heritage and St. Patrick's Day being on the 17th, an Irish blessing. This in honor of our Northwest pilots this year. May you have the hindsight to know where you've been, the foresight to know where you're going, and the hindsight to know when you've gone too far. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way it was, March 14th through the 20th. And this is David M. Vanderhoof signing off. Oh, that's great, David. Thank you. Fasten your seatbelt by inserting the metal fitting into the buckle and adjust the straps so that it fits low and tight around your hips. Release Hello, Airplane Geeks. It's Courtney back again with another what has turned out to be more of a monthly or quarterly Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. This week, I want to give a shout-out to one of the greatest marketing schemes ever created. This from the Sioux City Airport. Now, for those of you who are airplane geeks, like, well, I guess everybody listening to the podcast anyways, you'll know that Sioux City's IATA code 
is S-U-X. Now, for the longest time, over countless years, Sioux City has been trying to get ICAO, or IATA rather, to issue them a new code because they don't like the sucks code. Recently, Sioux City has had an epiphany. If our code literally sucks, why don't we make the best of it? So they have gone and marketed the sucks code. And in fact, I am now the proud owner of a Fly Sucks stocking cap. And this is a piece of history that I own. It's the Sioux City Fly Sucks stocking cap. I am so honored to have that. So it got me thinking. If Sioux City can embrace this code, then why can't other airports? And the airport that came to mind, and this is where my Whiskey Tango Foxtrot goes out to this week, is Fukuoka Airport in Japan. That's right. Their IATA code is F-U-K. Now, don't be embarrassed (laughs) by it. Embrace it. In fact, I have some good examples of how you can take industry slogans from the airline industry and mold them into a Fukuoka marketing genius campaign. For instance, say the United slogan, come the friendly skies. Fantastic. Or with Delta, we love to and it shows. Eastern, we make it easier to Republic Airlines, the original Republic Airlines, being more of America than any other airline, which I guess could apply to buy any airline in America. Braniff, when you've got it, it. Air New Zealand, nobody does it better. That one, I don't even have to put the name in there. You could just do, nobody does it better. That's a good slogan. And my personal favorite from National Airlines, the Fly Me campaign, I'm Debbie. me. That's it for me this week on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. See you guys. Okay, if you didn't think that was funny, you don't deserve to listen to our show. I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, we couldn't. We we almost couldn't find a way to top the fact that we were speechless earlier in the episode. Well, <laughs> Courtney, that. Good that job. was good great. job. All right, on to the listener mail. We actually got quite a lot. I'm not sure we're going to have enough time to uh, to mention all of it. Did we get any from Kim by any chance? Yes, we Just did. Wondering. Actually. I think that ah, was actually because uh, yeah. let's see. Kim noted that he was able to listen to uh, the podcast during a, a, a long drive. He said on the subject of flight attendants getting hand to hand combat training, give me a break. I've never gotten into the martial arts, but I understand it takes a long time and intensive training before a person develops the physical skill and confidence to be effective if they ever do. Flight attendants currently get only a few days a year of recurrent training to cover the myriad of skills involved in their job. And now they're going to make Jackie Chan clones of them. When I was flying the European routes, Delta had a flight attendant over 80 years old. And most of the cabin crew was at least as old as I was, late 50s. Wonderful ladies and expert flight attendants 
but not candidates for judo class. It's just a ridiculous idea. Kim also mentions that every airliner he flew in had, or he flew, had interphone stations in the front and rear of the aircraft, in addition to beside every boarding door in between. They are required for departure and arrival door arming checks. What is the point of an additional radio for cockpit contact? And then he finally says one small flaw in your listener's case against the backscatter machines. He seems to believe that since images cannot be saved, there will be no evidence to try the miscreants who are nabbed by the machine. The point is not trial evidence. It is knowing to stop the individual before they get through security. As for my wife, daughters, and granddaughters, I have no problem with them going through. The issue of general TSA effectiveness, though, is another question altogether. So thanks to Kim for that. And Kim, if you were expecting us to react to that, <laughs> failed. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can't argue with you if we agree with you. Yeah, see, that that's true. I, it's good, good point. Good point, David. All right. Also, uh, we got an email from, from Brian. This is actually two weeks old, but I forgot to mention it last week. I know. Oh I'm God. Uh, I, I failed. <laughs> so you're slipping, man. And Brian writes, by the way, I'm a regular listener and an avid one at that. I fly a lot. Not any longer if we ignore yeah. <laughs> I fly a lot. I fly a lot, both in my own plane, a beach sundowner based at KJYO, and on the airlines. I'm currently in Abu Dhabi having after having been to to Dubai and Sana Yemen and I always carry airplane gigs with me on an iPhone when I travel which I think is cool yeah I love wow. that but my question is what is the international business configuration that's quoted on United Airlines is this a good thing is it better than say the seating on Emirates a friend asked me if the Boeing 777-200 that I will be flying from Dubai to Washington, Dulles, has the international business configuration. And I just don't know either what it is or whether I should want it. So I thought you might have the answer and I would hear it on the podcast. And I think we passed this along to Dan to answer when, when the email came in. Is that right, Dan? Yes, and I did email Ryan back. Right now, um, I'm not sure exactly what his friends were asking, but um, I mean, United already has two seating configurations in the 777-200, one domestic um, that you'll find obviously on domestic routes and some Hawaii flying, and then you have the international version. But now, uh, I believe conversion started last month, we uh, are going to get a third configuration on the 777, just like uh, United has upgraded the uh, 767-300s. We? we? Like, you we as a we public. Like... Oh, I see. I, I thought yeah. maybe you'd gone over to the dark side. <laughs> I just... United? Okay. Um, thank, okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just gonna continue to move the conversation yeah, forward now. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's like the 767-300s are upgraded. You understand that I don't talk over you, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Now that the uh, 767-300s and the 747-400s have been upgraded with the new configuration, the 777-200s are getting that as well. Right. Um, now, 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 is, is that better than Emirates? Who knows? Because Emirates has, uh, multiple seating configurations on their long-haul fleet. So, so would United's product compare to the first class seat in the A380? No, but to their business class or their, their other premium products or their other aircraft, uh, yeah, it would be comparable. So, Okay, great. We also got an email from Irk, as in E-R-K. Irk says, G'day, guys. I found your podcast at the same time that I found my fellow countrymen, Steve and Grant, at PCDU, which is Plain Crazy Down Under. I love the show and I look forward to the news and the banter each week. Regards the kid on the radio in the tower, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. While it might have been a boneheaded thing to do, no one got killed or injured. Having said that, it is not the right thing to do. I dare say that the next controller who wants to take their child to work will have second thoughts. 
No one on the show seemed to comment about why the controller saw the need to take the kid to work in the first place. Was it because he had no alternative and rather than go off sick, brought the kid to work? Or was it that he was doing what, uh, what many people want to do and show off their jobs? Another thing I thought during the discussion was that Dan, boy wonder, didn't seem to say anything. <laughs> Unless I missed it, I don't recall him saying anything about it. Maybe the FAA told him to shut up about it because he'd had he'd said enough <laughs> by being on the radio with his dad in the tower. I think Rob should ask Dan about his whereabouts on the day in question. <laughs> oh, Those Australians. Yeah. I, I think the guy just brought the his son to the tower so he could show him what it looked like to yeah, work. I, I yeah, don't think there's yeah. anything more to it than that. But yeah. I mean, it, we, we didn't talk about the motivation. He, right. he, the, the reader is correct. But, and thank you for writing. What was this fellow's name, Brian? Um, no, that was Irk. Oh, Irk. Okay. Um, good question, though. Uh, I, I, I don't know the motivation myself. but I don't ever remember reading why he brought yeah, the, I don't, think, I I don't think that ever no, got I answered. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody ever asked him yeah. to tell you the truth. Or at least if they did, no reporter yeah. picked up on it. Good. I tell you, see, <clears throat> what the world needs are more airplane geek-like mm. people, because we know how to cover a story. That's right. But we also have listeners that, that know how to plug their stuff. And Adam sent in a, a couple. Adam says, okay, I got some great ideas about your show. Uh, <laughs> is, I, is this the same tape no, 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 last no, no. week? No. Yeah, different oh, guy. First, you have to put a full segment telling people about EAA 365. That is a great website. It has exclusive EAA membership benefits, webinars, which are very cool, forums, and events. It's really just great, and I think you should plug it on one of your episodes for a full-time plug. I think he's talking about, and, and this just came in, I think, uh, today or, or just, just recently, so I haven't looked at this completely, but I think he's talking about the site uh, www.oshkosh365.org. I don't know, Rob, if, if, if you're familiar with that, but it... Uh, yeah, that's um, that was um, EAA's first venture into social media, which they put together uh, and got up and running just before last year's uh -huh. Air Venture. In fact, the guy that runs it, Hal Bryant, is a really cool guy. If you ever go up to the Air Venture show, uh, and I met him, um, oh, maybe six months before last year's event, because he had just come to work at EAA from Microsoft. And you won't believe what he did at Microsoft. What's that? Anybody guess? He flew the corporate jet. Nope, 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 nope. Had something to do with flying. Uh, flight sim. Yeah. He was one of the big kahunas behind flight sim. Interesting. And, and right up, he says, until the day they said, oh, by the way, did we tell you we're not going to do flight sim anymore? <laughs> he went, <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> and he had a whole bunch of his buddies were all out of work. Oh, no. So it's a, he's a funny guy. Though. He's a good guy. All right. So that, that's what he's talking about, though, is that okay. it's kind of a social media. It's kind of like a Facebook uh, mm -hmm. group for, uh, for EAA. Okay. Well, folks can check that out. Adam goes on to say that he's also talking about the, uh, the DC2 slash DC3 slash B17 celebration. He says, this is all organized by Paul Poberesny. I heard some group in Ohio was going to have D-Day veterans coming on some of the DCs. EAA needs to. In about an hour for a DC, it could burn all its fuel. And, and EAA needs to have like billions of fuel there this year so that the heavy machines cannot use it all up on day one. And you guys can continue with the plug. So I think he's talking about the, uh, Adam's talking about the, the, the DC3 uh, event at, uh, at Oshkosh this year. 
Does it sound that way to you? Yeah, it's going to look like D Day. I think is what he was. Yeah, talking sounds about. very exciting. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Forty forty so. DC or thirty nine DC threes and one DC two. That's. I'm sorry about this, Dan, but that is paradise. I know it does. No, no, no I I agree that would be paradise. What's the difference between a DC three and a DC two? Oh, just a number. Oh, do you really want me to do this? If it's really brief, I will be really brief. Okay. The DC-3 is actually out of the Douglas Sleeper Transport, the DST. The DC DST had a wider fuselage, wider fuselage to port bunks in it and a slightly longer and a redesigned wing. So a DS-2 has a smaller wing, smaller engines, a smaller landing gear, and the DST is got a was a wider fuselage, adding a couple additional seats and became the DC-3. Ah, okay. which eventually became the C-47. Right, right. That I knew. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. That's our listener mail. Um, again, we'd like to thank uh, our guest, Amy Laboda. Really a pleasure to have her on. And uh, we're really happy that Courtney was able to send us another Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. We uh, look forward to uh, to more of those, certainly. Now, last week, we did something kind of different in terms of uh, how people could find each other online. One of our listeners has stepped up to the challenge and provided this. Get out your pencils, it's pimping time. Why not follow the geeks online? You can find David's blog at watchesbubai.com or follow him on Twitter at the TheMVanderclub. Ah, oh, this looks delicious. Dan's blog is thingsinthesky.com and he can be found on Twitter at Dan Webbage. Honey, look at this! Bob's online at jetwine.com and he's even on Twitter at jetwine. Who is this? Max can be found at 30,000feet.com and on Twitter at Max Black. You're almost there. And as always, the show notes can be found at airplanegeek.com. That came in from Ben, who just saved us a lot of work, huh? Thanks. Hey, That's Ben. Way to Thanks, go. Ben. <laughs> now, All he right. Did, he did leave out one thing, though. Uh, podcast on under? No, he did leave out our listener line. But, but we have uh, we, we have, have, have Benet around for that. Yeah, and if you want to call the airplane geeks, you can dial three six one geeks one. Thanks to Benet, and uh, thank you to Ben for sending that recording in. This could actually be the start of something kind of uh, kind of interesting if other listeners uh, would like to take over our end of the podcast task and want to send us a recording. Okay, maybe we should have a contest. Yeah, 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 and 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 they could get on the show, and they will receive from us um, the um, the wonderful feeling of, of being in an MP3 file, which is, as we all know, priceless. Yeah, yeah, we we, we could give them a lifetime subscription to the podcast. <laughs> this could be this could be cool. It could. All right, gotta go, guys. All right, thanks, uh, thanks to our listeners. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were we're still recording. Yes, we are. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> take take that part out, Max. Okay, I will. Okay. So (laughs) join us again next week as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody. Adios, amigos. Have a good whatever part of the day it is for you. So long. Farewell. Alfie, there's a good night.
I don't know. Can we can we do a twenty four hour talk radio show yet? I mean, are there enough? Yeah, we're close. If the way this episode's going, we might be. <laughs> we might be it. <laughs> I, I I didn't know you meant tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I, I I think next. Now now don't don't he- hear me out on this one. Oh, here it comes, oh, folks. Programming but, change. But airplane geeks on Sirius XM as they're on channel. Yeah. Awesome. Then we can see the then we can see the um unplug side of Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's unplugged. Oh man. We just have to quit our day jobs. Yeah, that's true. Hey, Max. Whatever happened to Amy? Is she ever going to come on the show? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the White Knight 2? Right, yes. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I called it erotic. <laughs> I went to this party for, for Kit Plane, so I also do some writing for afterwards. And yeah. it had the, the, somebody else had been listening because when I got there, everybody was going, you said the E word on EAA radio. <laughs> David, are you ever going to get music? I'm just wondering. I have music. You have music. You, you should. I, I. It was sent to. I'll resend it to Max. We'll talk about it. Did I get music? Yeah, I had. I. I. I dumped the final product into the um into the uh the drop IO. But how long it, ago was that? About Three a month years. ago now. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, about that it. was you. Oh, that was you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Max, we were totally talking about, like, who left this random music clip on the drop? And, uh, I and now, said, now, now. I couldn't figure out what it was, and after a while, I deleted it. <laughs> oh, God. It's okay, Max. I understand. That was you. Oh, my. I'm sorry. I, I erased your music. <laughs> That's okay. I'll resend it. Okay. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll watch for it again. Oh, it sounded like a cherry bomb in a toilet. Crazy, huh? Well, thank you for listening to this Airplane Geeks replay of episode 89. Visit AirplaneGeeks.com for show notes, where to find us on social media. You can learn more about us. We've got our bios in there. And you can also find out where you can make a donation to help support the show. Our email address is thegeeks at AirplaneGeeks.com. If you'd like to get an invitation to our Slack listener team or our Discord server, you can write us at that email address and we'll send you an invitation. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody.